Hey guys, I just wanted to take some time out just before the podcast to say a massive thank you to each and every one of you for listening. You are an amazing group of people and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Everyone at the TechQ podcast really values you. What I want you to do though is I want you to please help us out on the podcast. We want to grow this bigger and better and get more exciting guests. So if you could just like and subscribe and share this with a friend of a friend of a friend, it would really help us. Thanks very much. Hello and welcome to the TechQ podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ben Shinobi, and of course, I am joined this time, not by Andy, but obviously by the lovely uh, Eloisa Tovey. Hello, how are you? I'm good, Eloisa. How are you? Good, good, good. And I'm joined today um, by Mark Capaldi. So Mark is uh, the head of design and engineering at ECS. He started his career as a self-taught programmer. <laughs> better than myself. I tried it. I couldn't get hang of it. But yeah, much better than me. Um, he's an advocate for lifelong learning, a self-confessed geek, and who still writes code in his spare time and has thoroughly enjoyed mentoring and coaching engineers. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Ben. Good to see you. Good to yeah. see you, Ellie. Good to see you too. Yeah, good to see you, Mark, with everything. How um how is uh, things with uh, getting through COVID and on all that? How you doing all right? Yeah, it's been obviously it's been a tough time for everybody, but I think there's you know like everything in life, you've got to draw positives from it. Um, yeah, we've, seen, we've seen a big change in the way people are working, and um, personally, I enjoyed it at the beginning where I got more time back because I wasn't commuting into the office. Yeah, uh, managed to get more cycling, and that wasn't so much the case last year. But you know, hopefully, we, we get back into a routine now. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's good. Good that you, you're drawing. I like the fact that you're drawing some positives out of this, um, and that's uh, really good and positive for for the listeners. So, on today's episode. What we're talking about is a, a topic that is going around, circling around sort of the industry about the skills shortage, and we wanted to give your sort of your thoughts and opinions on how it's actually going and what sort of companies can do and, and what you know individuals can do as well with how this is how this has come up. So I think what we want to start off with with um, I can't talk today. <laughs> what I wanted to start off with was uh, talk us through some of the challenges that come up um, that have not. Sorry, talk some of through the challenges that have come um, with not having the right skills in an engineering team. Yeah, so it's, it is a difficult time. The market is really competitive. There's there's definitely um, a shortage of skills at the right level for various things. Technology is obviously um, taken over over the world. So you know we've never been uh, more in demand. But um, I was trying to think of an analogy to explain this, and I've, I've just moved house and. and you know the house is a, a new build and it's been beset by delays and you know touching back onto covid if the the roofers for example if one of the team caught covid the whole team had to self-isolate and everything was was brought to a halt um, and i think it's it's similar in engineering teams if you don't have the right people with the right skills it affects the the entire product or the solution that you're trying to build so it's really important that you've got a plan in place to make sure that there are no key person dependencies and that everybody on the team knows the direction that they're heading and has the skills together. I think you also touched on a really good point there about the calibre of the team as well. So it's not just a case of having one cloud engineer. If that cloud engineer has only got six months experience, it's about having a mixture of people who not only need to understand the complexities of the tech, but also... And it's that's something that I'm really passionate about, having been self-taught, right? So... 
I talk to people in my team and explain that it took me probably 10 to 15 years of learning the hardware because the hard way, sorry, because I didn't have a mentor. I didn't do a, a course on computer programming. I just made mistakes and learned from them and read books. And I think, you know, we can accelerate that. But the goal ultimately is to, to learn the, the tricks of the trade, as it were, the principles, the practices and the patterns so that you're not making the same mistakes as people that went before you. You're learning from their mistakes. So follow-up question to this. One thing that we notice at ECS is a lot of people are interested in the new technology. That's what they get hooked on. That's what makes it exciting. But actually, a lot of the companies that we work with are have been around for centuries. So the technology they're using or their platforms are built on are what we would know today as legacy technology. So how is it that you make sure a team has both the experience within legacy technology but also modern technology so the two can work together and also you know you've got the right mix yeah. there so it's you know technology is it doesn't exist in a vacuum it's constantly changing it's constantly moving on um i think there are there are two elements to the answer there really that the first one is we have to understand the business that our clients are in right so there are reasons why they haven't moved on from tech um legacy technology you can't be constantly changing your tech stack um change represents a business risk and we have to understand that but what we can do by understanding the business that they're in and where they're spending money and how they earn money is point out how technology can actually improve their business and then they can make a measured decision about actually you know we're going to change this legacy system to a more modern system so i think you know we would all love to be working on the cutting edge stuff we would all love to to always be looking at the the, the cool tech so you know ar vr virtual reality is coming into play now but but you know it's just not possible to constantly looking at the cutting edge stuff because again it comes back to that caliber of people you you have to learn um Sometimes in, in in ways that are, are less interesting to you initially, but you have to learn what, how those, those those systems came to be and what purpose they're serving. And it's only when you really understand that that you can apply new technology to that problem. Okay. So, Mark, um, there's very good points that you said there. I wanted to look at, you know, for organizations without the capabilities in-house, what are some of the options that they have available to them? Um, looking at you know building up that skill set in house or you know being able to outsource that. What what are some of the trade offs, benefits, and drawbacks from having that? Yeah, I think you have to think about um, what level um, you're you're trying to get people trained to, what sort of technologies and skills you're trying to train them in. Um, some of them are commoditized, some of them are more specialized. So for those that are commoditized, that are more common. You might use external training providers, and that's you know quite a simple simple route for things that are more either um, proprietary or particular to your business. Then it makes sense to build an internal capability. And you know, I, I'd like to call out that, that there's a big difference between teaching and doing. And, and engineers that can actually use technology are not always the best teachers. So if you are going to do it internally, you know. You, you want your, your teachers to be as good as your in, uh, teaching as your engineers are uh, actually implementing it. It's, it's, it's not a small commitment to do it properly, but it, it does pay back in, in kind. 
That's a, that's a really good point. And I've always been of the mindset of teams having T-shaped uh, individuals where you have a vast amount of knowledge, or some vast, a good amount of knowledge on a broader scale, but then you have a deep knowledge on your your, your skill set. Um, how do organizations be able to do that, you know, now with, with the, the personnel that they bring in? How, how is that encouraged in organizations now? So, and again, it relates to your previous question, right? I think one of the advantages of the internal training capability is that you, your culture as a business comes across and it is, you know, imparted as part of that training. And I think the, the culture is important. There is more and more overlap between different areas of technology now. So that the T-shaped individual, uh, so to speak, has never been more um, in demand than they are now. Um, and it's probably not a T, right? The, the the vertical bar is probably, there's probably more than one. So it's maybe an M or, or something like that, right? An M-shaped individual. Um, but you, you have to have that culture of, you know, if I'm a cloud engineer, I need to understand an element of DevOps. I need to understand um, source code control. I need to understand infrastructure as code. The overlap is has never been bigger and you need to create a culture where people have an open open mindset and a growth mindset to learn about other areas so that because at the end of the day we're trying to deliver value to businesses and that's what it's all about we can build the coolest stuff but it's not rewarding if people aren't using it so in a world where again we're we're frantically looking for more skill sets to come into the it industry is there still room for specialists or for those engineers which are now going to be joining the industry is it a case of go and learn a bit of everything, you've got more chance of kind of being picked up that way? Or is it a case that I want to just do cloud, I can just do cloud? Is there room for specialisms? So it depends who you're asking, right? What level you're looking at, there's there's definitely still a case for specialists. And I would use the word mentors in, in that scenario, right? We've never needed mentors more than we need them today to teach people in, in a decent amount of time. You know, don't make the same mistake that I did and take 10 to 15 years to learn your trade. But you need to learn your trade, right? So you need that solid foundation, and a mentor is one of the best ways of getting that. But if you're starting out and you're you're new to the industry or you're looking to get into the industry, I would suggest pick one particular area and get to know it really well. And it's it's never been easier, you know, with with the growth of the internet. There's there's so many free resources available. Um, find people on the internet that resonate with you that are interested in the same things that you're interested in and deep dive in it, just learn, play with it. You know, is it, like I said, you know, I, I remember saving up for my first PC and then begging my parents to give me the money to buy the Visual Basic compiler so that I could write code at home. And thankfully they, 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 they gave me the money, but it's never been easier to get started. You know, you can go to a library, get onto a computer, get onto the internet and, 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 and start from there. So, yeah, go and have fun, play, build stuff, play with it. So follow on question from that, the effort it took for you to convince your parents that you were able to play with code and to, to take a chance on you, do businesses give individuals that same chance, that same room to play? Or is it a case that you need to go into those companies having done all that playtime at home and be a little bit more finessed as you go into a business? I think... Um... So going into the, the the workspace brings a different uh, context, right? And you, uh, you get a different awareness of the, the sort of economics of software or technology. Um, 
but you you definitely want to find a company that gives you that that room to play right that safe place to make mistakes it's something that i'm really passionate about and you know anybody that knows me will be bored hearing the analogy of the orchestra they don't just turn up on concert night and perform they practice for months and months and months and months in advance yeah. um, so they, they get it right and that's what businesses need to do with these their teams and with all these t-shaped individuals and with people that are new into the industry paired up with mentors practicing in a safe space deploying solutions seeing what works what doesn't work why is it good why is it bad and, and learning from those mistakes without there being a business impact so that when you do build something, you know, a production solution, you're much more confident that it's going to solve the problem that it was designed to solve. And is there a responsibility by businesses? So I'm sure every business would want a team of people who know exactly what they're doing and, you know, have years of experience behind them. But considering the skill shortage affects all businesses across all sectors, is it do businesses have a responsibility to take on junior engineers and mentor them and train them up in-house? Or is there still an allowance for businesses to say, nope, we just want the best of the best and that's how we're going to do business? So again, there are a couple of elements to that. I think culture is really important, right? So um, you can hire specialists or experienced people all the time, but they'll come with their own um, set of quirks, if you like. Whereas they won't you know if you if you bring somebody in at a junior level and train them up they get exposed to your culture your way of doing things um and i, I think that's broadly a benefit right it's really important i think um the other thing is that we, we businesses really need to be going out there and, and making themselves known to people and you know i'm really i'm really passionate about the learning journey because because of my background and the way that I got into the industry. And it's, you know, I'm in a position now where I can pay some of that back. Um, it's really important that we get out there and speak to people and make them aware of what they're capable of, what the opportunities are for them, that, the, you know, there are learning opportunities, there are great careers to be had. There are, you know, we have a brilliant team. I love the people. And that that's really important for me, right? And it's it's something that we don't talk about often enough. And um, so I think it's really important if you want to to have a particular culture, um, you have to work it. You have to go out and make sure that you're bringing the right people in. Mm-hmm. I get it. So you go on, Ellie. Go on. No, yeah, I'm gonna be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you've spoken about the organisational side of going out and finding the talent, making sure that you build a culture of nurturing that talent and making sure that um, everyone has the ability to to learn and grow, which is amazing. So so a question from myself, uh, for the younger viewers that are, or younger listeners that are listening to this, what do, so I'm in university and I'm, and I'm looking to get into the IT industry, what do I need or what should I p- do to prepare myself coming into this industry? Is there a specific uh, skill set that I should have or is it more of a personality traits that I should be um, exuding in order for me to look more attractive to organisations? So I, I don't know about looking more attractive to organisations. I would say that um, if you're passionate about what you're doing, then just let that come across. Um, I mentioned earlier having an open mind. So, you know, 
you might be interested in cloud engineering, but you need to know about other things. So have an open mind from that that perspective, but also have a, a growth mindset, right? The opportunity is there for the taking. Um, when I when I speak to candidates, I'm looking for passion and motivation, um, and, and a, a dose of humility always helps as well. But you know the learning opportunities are there if you want to take them, um, and it. it you know, I sometimes speak to sort of the younger members of my team and say I'm, I'm jealous of the position that they find themselves in because the, the, the industry is just in such a good place just now. There are so many good opportunities um, for everybody or anybody that, that's that's got the interest, the passion or the motivation to take advantage of. So going back to um, obviously head of uh, engineering within ECS, what why is it so important to you to make sure like we've got obviously a business full of different different talents across the board we've got different clients with different needs how do we create the right balance of skill sets and characters and everything that comes with that to make sure that our clients are receiving the the, the team that they need that ECS also has the skills that, that we need in-house uh, what is why is that so important that we get that mix right and how is it that you're helping um to keep up with the change in digital skill demand so i think there's probably three questions there but um, my my design lead wouldn't wouldn't forgive me if i didn't correct you on as head of design and engineering damn sorry Uh, i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is a good point right and that and that's part of it is is that we're we're building a t-shaped team of t-shaped individuals you know that we're, we're, we're multifaceted i think I'm really passionate about technology, and that's why, you know, when we talked in the introduction, I'm a self-confessed geek. I'm really optimistic about the impact that technology can have on society. So I think we all have a responsibility, and all organisations have a responsibility to make sure that our teams can actually do a good job. Um, You know, you, you can talk about money and revenue and profits and margins, but fundamentally, we're out there working for clients. And in and, and one way, shape or form, we're contributing to society, to the community around us. Um, that's why it's important to me. Amazing. Um, Mark, um, any, do you have any other questions for Mark? I think we uh, um, there are a few other things that we could roll for, but I just wanted to give you a chance to be able to speak up anything. Nope, I think just um, in Mark's point, Again, this is a bit of a uh, big up for ECS, but we run something called the Academy. We have things like the Devil's Playground. As Mark said, we're at a point of history where there's just so much material available online for those looking to get involved. It is a big ask of the next generation to help us solve a shortage of skills. Um, And that's quite scary, right? You know, every company is now a technology company. So, um, you know, that is a scary idea that the next generation have to help us, otherwise we're all going to, you know, suffering so that's that's a really interesting point right and we hear that that phrase used quite a lot that every techno every company is a technology company and and being a, a father to teenagers right and see them going through school and and the exposure that they get to technology there's there's definitely an element that we need to be breaking down the barriers and you know you, we see some people that are just frightened as soon as they sit in front of a computer my parents for example i don't want to break it well, you're not going to break it, right? But the opportunities to, to improve people's lives are there. We need to break down the barriers for the next generation coming through so that they, they want to explore. 
you know, we live in an again, being a parent, right? My kids are never off their phones and their iPads. When I was their age, or maybe a little bit younger, I was playing with Lego and Meccano, and I was building stuff, and I was using my imagination, and, and there was no plans, there was no, you know, diagrams about this is what you what you you have to build. But as you buy a Lego kit now, it comes with a set of instructions. So I think we've lost that that ability to explore and be creative, and we need to get that back because that's where the, the ingenuity and innovation comes from. That's such an interesting point because I, I can already see there's this pressure that if you're not interested in technology, you're going to get left behind. And again, I think my grandma's exactly the same. We've been trying to get her a phone which has got a better camera than a Nokia, the, you know, 8010. Is that what it was? 3310. Um, it's, it's horrible. Like she keeps sending these pictures to print for her and they're eight pixels big. It's just terrible. Yeah. Um, so trying to convince her to use technology is, is very different because actually she's at an age where it doesn't really matter. But if you're growing up today and you're saying, actually, I, I want to go play outside instead of learning the technology, that you, yeah. there is this fear, I think, a lot from parents and a lot from kind of, again, industries um, looking to that generation to come through as the next talent that we need you interested in this because it's going to become such a yeah. part of your future. And I'd also like to add here that we're talking a lot about the younger generation, but also this is for people who consider in second careers. So just because you've Absolutely. been in a, um, in a career for the last 10, 20, 30 years, there's still opportunities for you to move I, across into technology. And, and it's a, that's a really good point, Elliot. You know, IT and technology wasn't my first, my first job. Um, and... I started out, all I wanted to do was join the police because that's what my dad did. And then after you know several years of doing that, I got interested in technology and I, I, I transitioned and did a career change. What really surprised me about that was the, the, the amount of transferable skills in terms of being able to relate to people, talk to people, communicate effectively. Um, nothing about technology, but you know, a, a second career or another career, you will be surprised uh, what you can bring from that career into technology, you know, and, and we, we we sometimes get accused of being geeks, and, and sometimes that means that we 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 aren't great at communicating. So people that can come in and, and communicate effectively have a big contribution to make, and you shouldn't underestimate if you're looking to do a career change into technology. You shouldn't underestimate what you can bring to the table. Really good advice. Definitely, one hundred percent. I'm going to take that with uh <laughs> we're teaching my young son what he needs to do next and i want to take on board the uh the lego the lego um analogy as well i'm going to take the instructions out and let his <laughs> imagination run wild um I, 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 that's really really important yeah let it run wild but mark um i want to thank you for taking the time to be able to go through all of the questions and and give us an insight into the skill shortage um, give us an insight on what people can do when it's come into the industry. Give your feedback and your insight into what organisations can do to be able to facilitate and help the generations and the people coming in. And it's really good. And um, we'll be doing this a lot more. We've got a few other episodes coming up. We're we'll looking at um, other sides from um, people coming in and, and, when it, and what the skill shortage looks like. So please um, like, subscribe and share this throughout your network to be able to get this out to, to the wider world. Uh, I want to thank Ellie as well. Um, Ellie, any last any last thoughts? No, again, I think it's just really interesting that people look at the skill shortage as a people problem, and it absolutely is. But if you don't get that people part right, the impact that can have then on design and engineering within a company, the knock-on effect it can have on projects, 
um, all that kind of stuff. I, I think that businesses need to start taking this seriously. And if you have the space to set up academies or invest in the training for your for your team to make sure the skills are always up to scratch, then I think you should absolutely be doing that because the only people who are going to get burnt at the end of the day are yourself. Your team will leave because they'll get bored or they'll be offered other opportunities elsewhere. So I think just being aware that the skill shortage very much sits with the people and the people very much sit at the heart of your business. So look after them first um, and look after the skills as, as part of that. 100%. So if we could just sum that up then, rather than saying that every company is a technology company, we can say that every technology company is a people company. There you go. T-shirts <laughs> are already going to get printed. That's it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you've been listening to TechQ Podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Take care. Have a good day. Bye.